0: In the death of Christ my God All the vain things that charm me most I sacrifice them to His blood See from His head
1: Good morning to the Good Friday service from Park End Church in Cardiff. It is a bright morning. The sun would be turning me into a shadow of the man I was last week if I was still sitting with the windows behind me. So a change of view. And now please turn to Psalm 22 because today is a sober but joyful day. Um... In fact, we're going to be so glued to Psalm 22 to see how graphic and disturbing the crucifixion of Jesus was. I'm going to keep it up there so you can see for yourself the whole sermon long. May the word of God speak to us this morning because now we're at the heart of the Christian message. Christ crucified for church. There's Psalm 22. Now bear in mind in Galatians chapter 6, Paul says he boasts in the cross and the events of Good Friday. Like there's nothing more precious to him and the early church than Christ crucified. I'll just take that down a second because... Uh, before we get there, in the turn of the century, Robert Booth from the Salvation Army said Christianity is heading to a period where there's loads of heaven mentioned and no hell or judgment mentioned at all. I'd say he's quite spot on, actually. That was quite a prophetic message because there's loads of sort of hippie-esque views of the love of God, which don't involved, involve punishment Or judgment where he sort of just forgives everybody like sin is nothing. Well, Good Friday demolishes that view of love. That sort of John Lennon-esque view of love where it's all Shangri-La and we just sweep each other's problems under the rug. It It doesn't work on a human level and Good Friday shows it doesn't work on a God level either. Psalm 22 shows Jesus experienced hell on earth. Such was the power of human sin that he was crucified and experienced hell on earth so that his church doesn't have to. So we're pulling no punches today. Psalm 22, a vision of Jesus on the cross. This blows away any notion that God the Father doesn't punish sin and that he doesn't want to banish it. God is not a big drip in the sky. Church life isn't about sitting on fluffy clouds, playing harps and eating dairy lead cheese. Evil gets punished by the living God. He can't let it anywhere near him. So as we look at the events of Good Friday and the crucifixions, for some of us watching, we'll find it repulsive. It actually says that in the Bible. This will split planet Earth in two. One camp will think repulsive. Why is there that notion of uh, forgiveness of sins and sacrifice? It's, ugh, get it away from me. And the Bible says, okay, if that's your view, you're perishing. You don't yet have the life of God. The other group will say, I'm so in awe and thankful for Jesus for taking my sin upon himself and going through this for me that God may then see fit to dwell in my heart because sins have been forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. So Psalm 22 a window into the thoughts and prayer life of Jesus as he suffered history written in advance. Here's verses 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and I'm not silent. If later on in the day you want to see uh, the New Testament fulfillment of that, that's Matthew chapter 27 Verse 46, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, as you know those words famously, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know if you, I don't know if you know this, but the crucifixion thing, as we know, it was sort of invented by the Persian Empire about 400 or 500 years before Jesus. And as like a means to destroy enemies in the most vile and public way possible. But it was the Roman Empire that perfected it um, into the sort of shape and structure um, and process that's become common now in our thought. Um, It's just interesting in the sovereignty of God that four or five hundred years before Jesus would be hung up. On that cross, God was overseeing the Persians in their original thoughts of this sort of torture chamber-esque means of killing people. It's just, it's a stunning thought that God knew that it would amount to this. And here we have the Lord Jesus hanging in the middle of two guilty sinners. One is actually undeservedly shown mercy. And these words... Uh, My God, one philosopher in the 18th century said it would take all of the philosophers in the world to unpick just those words. My God, my God, as they were spoken from the son of God to God, the father and all the philosophers in the world still wouldn't scratch the surface of the power and meaning of those words But Good Friday isn't hopeless. Good Friday is hopeful. And if you don't remember anything else from this sermon, remember this. God is good. He is good. But for good, to define good, think and see Good Friday. And if you have a notion of God's goodness that doesn't involve Good Friday and the events there, you've got the wrong God when you say God is good. Or you've got the wrong good. For good, see Good Friday because hope lies therein. Jesus here cries out. It's like a turmoil. And we know what's going on because in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says... For he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, who knew no sin to become sin for us. That we, in turn, might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. It's like, are we righteous? Is the church righteous today in spite of all of our failings and foibles and letting each other down and letting God God down miraculously, the answer is yes, because the church's sins were put on him and he was made to be our sin. And in exchange, the church by God the Father, the Bride of Christ, is declared righteous, my beloved, no longer orphans, holy, sanctified, my special possession, a royal priesthood, all because of the events of psalm 22 here we have for the first time in eternity god the father turning his face away from god the son so that there would be a day where he wouldn't turn his face away from us the church those who trust in jesus the father will never turn his face away from us for the first time in eternity their fellowship is disrupted and almost shattered because of this invasive enemy called sin, which had been put on Jesus, and the Father cannot look at it. His beloved has now become sin. Whatever darkness we might enter this week as the church, our mediator, high priest Jesus, knows it. He gets it. And he can be in it with us, making sense of it. Those first few words of Psalm 22 reminds me of and brings gravitas to John Newton's words. How unspeakably wonderful to know that all our concerns are held in hands that bled for us. Here's verses 3 and 5. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. Here's an interesting question. What is a massive part Of Jesus getting through these events and not failing and crumbling and falling into sin and despair. What helps him trust the father and what can help us keep afloat in life and death from falling under into decay, despair and lostness? What is it? Well, what happens in verses 3 and 3 to 5 is we see Jesus actually recalling scripture as he's going through complete turmoil and difficulty and darkness, experiencing the wrath of the Father. Jesus remembers scripture. He knew the scriptures and he recalls it. He starts recalling in these verses all of the believers that ever trusted in the living God. And he reminds himself that God the Father was praised by them, no matter what they went through, and he kept them through it. Knowing the scriptures sustains Jesus in his moment of agony. One of the reasons I love church is because... Um, Just like Jesus, scriptures are open there and discussed and explored and learned together. There we learn to bow the knee to the opinion of God, which is greater than ours. You remember Jesus in the temple, Bible open with other people around him preaching it when he was just a boy. And what a great pattern. There we learn uh, the ways of our God. Each night um, at the moment from nine till ten, we as Park End Members are reading um, on YouTube live the Holy Scriptures from start to finish. It's a really great practice to do. Come and join us. Maybe then the Holy Spirit will help you recall the ways of our God. When we are brought through tough times, when we're tempted uh, to go this way and that way, when we're asking the big questions of life, it's great to know the Scriptures and how God deals with people. Here's verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men and despised by the people. Now pause here. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, the beautiful one, saying that. He feels so judged. It's like he's being cut off even from his humanity He's like, I am a worm trodden under foot. Consider who is saying that on our behalf so that we may never feel cut off from true humanity, that we may stay connected as humans and experience the life of God in us. Jesus from heaven above, now like a helpless creature, trodden under foot. The ruler of angels, Now but a worm. Here's an interesting question. Why do so many people not want to come to Christ? Why do so many people reject the life of Christ and church life? I think one thing is because you do have to come to the point where you say, I'm boasting in that cross. It's special to me. And for us to get there as a church, we have to put our hands up and say, My sins were also laid on the Son of God. Now that is a massive pill to swallow, to come that far to say, we, Lord, have sinned. Tis I, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It's as if David is there. It's as if we're there. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? If he's prodding you now, don't resist him. Accept the conviction and say, Lord, deliver me, and new life begins. Verses seven and eight. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. What's interesting there is how it's the rejection that he experiences of people and from people That really, really cuts Jesus because humans are designed to have fellowship with one another because we're made in the image of God, Father, Son and Spirit, fellowshipping with each other. Independence, no. Interdependence, yes. And here Jesus is cut off from not just his father, but from people and the insults and the mocking hurt him. Isn't it really sad the more religious some people become, the less human people become? Jesus wasn't like that, he's a man of the people. In these difficult times of COVID-19 lockdown, we're to be fully human. Fellowshipping with one another, ringing, texting, emails, knocking on the doors, looking through windows, anything we can to keep showing people we are not in isolation. We, well, we are sort of following the government rules of isolation, but we're not in absolute isolation. The church is still here, together, made in the image of God, not cut off from one another and not cut off from God, because that. ...according to Jesus here, is a terrible thing. Verses 9 to 11. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near... ...and there is no one to help. Thanks be to God. Jesus' trust in the Father... Even on the Good Friday crucifixion morning, his trust was not shaken to despair. He kept his faith. For us, the faithless, the faithless, he trusted the Father in his darkest day. So often we don't. That's why the church is a victorious team, not because of us, the players, but because of the captain, Jesus Christ. Verses 12 to 13, many bulls around me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions tearing their prey, open their mouths wide against me. Some people think that's a picture of satanic demons encircling Jesus on the cross, mocking him, laughing at him. Others just think it's a picture of being frightened, like there's wild animals. It's like the people around me who hate me are like wild animals scorning me, whatever it is. Be sure that you one day don't have to take this penalty for your sins. Cast them onto Jesus. May his experience be your experience. The graphic nature continues between verses 14 and 17. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all of my bones, people stare and gloat over me. Jesus looking down at his own bones on the cross. Other people gloating over him. This is the reality of judgment. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God where sin is exposed finally in its full and ugly and powerful nature. It leaves us nowhere but hung up and cursed. But now look at the prayer of death, but how Jesus remains the man of faith, 19 to 21. But you, O Lord, be not far off, O my strength. Come quickly to help me deliver my life from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my brothers. In the congregation, I will praise you. Jesus remains the man of faith, trusting the Father and his purposes unflinchingly. Going through this, for the church hallelujah what a savior i think this psalm goes quite a long way in answering that question that's asked a lot why does god allow suffering well psalm 22 shows that actually the other side of suffering is so glorious it's like the suffering was worth it for example we bring children into the world knowing that there will be pain pain for the mother As she gives birth, pain for the child as the child grows up through life. But there's glory in it. Glory the moment the child is born. And glory as the child grows, even though life is difficult. There is glory. Painful? Yes. Worth it? Yes. Here's Hebrews 12, verse 2. He went through this for the final outcome to bring church to that world where there is no sin, no tears, no decay. Where each and every Christian that has suffered in the name of Jesus will look back at it all and say it was worth it for the comfort, that matchless joy that I experience now. And we model that faith. On knowing things like Psalm 22 and Hebrews 12 and what Jesus went through and the joy that he now has, the joy that was set before him. What was that keeping Jesus going? What's on the other side? What's the greatest present that Jesus could ever receive? It's that you, church member who trust in Jesus, will be his, will be redeemed. Ransom, restored, forgiven and presented one day faultless before the whole world. And there you, church member, will reign with him with a smile that you have not yet smiled. The last bit we see how much Jesus just wants the church to learn about his father. Look at verse 23. Um, you who fear the Lord. That's the church, isn't it? You Everybody who fears the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him, revere him. Yes, this same God who is crucifying me, revere him. He is getting rid of sin, death and decay. Praise him, all you descendants of Israel. He just wants to lead the congregation. Here's some homework. Have a look through the Psalms and see... This term sometimes for the choir master, for the choir master, for the one who truly leads church praise towards the father. Who is that? Mm. It's this man. Praise him. Follow me in praise and adoration. I will lead the church in praise and adoration to the father. And for us as a church, it means this. There is no worship Not really, we're just like a charity club, but not worship unless centrally in everything we do is the life, death, resurrection and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ slain for sinners. And we close, this is where we come in, 26 to 29. The poor will eat and be satisfied, they who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Jesus is going to get all of those people. And sort them out, so let's turn to him and wait on him, and as we close, let's do this today. they, the church, particularly on Good Friday, will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, for he has done it, Park End and anybody viewing you are now born. So today, let us praise the one who experienced all of our hells rolled up into one moment of death and agony. For the joy that was set before him, so that we all come this morning to turn into the life of God. Now, if the father didn't withhold his son from going through that, he's not going to withhold any good thing from us, the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you all. I'll see you on Sunday for resurrection morning.
0: You were sent to heal the contrite of heart. Lord have mercy. Lord, came to call sinners, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, you are seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us, Lord have mercy, have mercy,